You're listening to the Pseudo Show on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. This is episode 24 of the Pseudo Show, and our special guest today is musician and songwriter Sarah Brown. Sarah Brown moved from the Midwest to Denver in 2006, and after graduating from college became involved in the music scene. Sarah plays keyboards and sings in Montropo, but has also been spending her time writing her own music for her new indie folk project, Smoke and Honey. Sarah's been very busy lately producing the debut album for Smoke and Honey called Chase the Sun, recording it at Mighty Fine Productions, a studio here in Denver. Also appearing on the album are several local musicians filling in as a backing band, including Andres Diaz on guitar, Charles Mertens on the upright bass, and Adrian Short on violin, and yours truly on the drums. With Smoke and Honey, Sarah's been exploring some personal themes of loss and renewed hope in the context of beautiful folk songs. She joins the show today to discuss all of these endeavors, so let's get right to it. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks so much for doing this. Um, so tell us, uh, Chase the Sun, is it done? Well, it got mastered today, and I'll be able to pick it up soon. I'm really excited. Yeah, and so this gets this comes out in a couple of weeks, or by the time this is this is published, it'll be one week. Um, artwork pulled together, shipping this off. Those final steps falling into place. Yep, we just have to. We're in the process of formatting the artwork and. Hopefully, actually getting those physical copies of the album made today. I think it's easy to forget, like, you get so busy with the recording process, which I look forward to talking about more deeply later in the show, that it's like, oh yeah, I've got to, like, make a product too and, like, like pull all this other stuff together. Yeah, there are just so many details to think about. Yeah. And uh, so you've got a CD release party coming June 4th at the Denver Syntax. Yeah. And uh, that's definitely one of the cooler venues here in town. Um, so tell us about the album a little bit. Um, what's going on here? What are the, what are the stories you're telling? What, what's on your mind? And Well, I feel like a major theme of this album and something that I've also been kind of processing over the last couple of years is this idea of loss as a part of life, like um, accepting loss kind of as an old friend instead of constantly trying to like push it away or fight against it. And so I think a lot of the songs are about like loss of relationship, loss of identity. Um, there's even like Glass Eyed Lady, I would say, is even sort of a personification of loss as this kind of creepy old lady. <laughs> um, so I think it deals with loss a lot, but at the same time, that makes the album sound really like sad, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not. It's like a really hopeful album I think and like happy too so like finding that way to turn a corner or or a rebirth or some kind of new way to live I think so I think so yeah and uh so what is it about writing songs and music that seems especially satisfying um, for expressing these kinds of ideas and feelings I feel like I've always been a pretty pretty creative person um and always pretty vocal about my thoughts and ideas, but I've found that music seems like a much more kind of vulnerable and personal way to do that. And um, at the same time, as a like someone who listens to a lot, a lot of music and um, appreciates other people's music, I think it's 
a really kind of incredible way to connect as people. Like people connect through music all around the world and use music to express pain and love and excitement and joy in a way that is kind of beyond, I think, a conversation or the written word. So. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's great. And maybe we can even talk a little bit about um, even writing these songs for this album with these tools of, of words and melody and, and, and chords. Um, do you have a preferred instrument when you do write songs? Uh, yeah, I think pretty much the only instrument that I'm like proficient in is piano. And so I normally go to that to write music. But um, in the last couple of months, I've picked up um, a couple different instruments. And um, actually, Black and Blue, one of the songs on the album is one I wrote on ukulele. And it definitely was like changed the way I thought about my traditional way of writing music to try it on a different instrument. And I'm hoping to learn even more instruments so that I can use that method more because I really enjoy writing that way. And uh, did you take lessons for piano growing up? Or Yep, I started taking lessons when I was like five and mostly avoided practicing <laughs> <laughs> all my life, but found ways to kind of cheat. I just kind of like, I'm too impatient to learn yeah. <laughs> like how to do all the classical stuff, but I... I really love playing. I play every day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is a difficult thing because when you're five, you don't know if you like music yet. And it's like, or maybe you do, but like the discipline isn't there yet. And right. Yes. It's like later in life, you're like, oh man, I should have. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely like, I had too many interests and too many things distracting me. So. Yeah. And, uh, when you do write songs, do you? Um, I don't know if there is a pattern that you've observed, but is it tend to be music first, or lyrics first, or a crazy mishmash? Um, it's definitely music first for me. Uh, I'll usually like be driving or in the shower or something, and a melody will pop into my head. Always when I'm in a place where I can't like record yeah. it right away, so I have to like <laughs> hum it over and over for like an hour until I get to my phone and can record it, and then. Um, once I have sort of a melody or an idea of a melody, I'll kind of just sit with it and close my eyes. And there's always like pictures that pop up or sometimes even a storyline. And I'll write the lyrics based on those images usually. Mm-hmm. So these ideas occur to you in different situations. Is, uh, do you ever draw inspiration from other art forms like uh, movies or books or um you know, what kinds of inputs, even if you, you wouldn't draw a direct correlation, but like what kinds of things are you investing in when, when you're looking at other art? Well, I would definitely say that other musicians and other artists have inspired me. I think that I'm most inspired actually by stories, by by people's stories that I know, or my own stories, or people in my community, their stories. I think for this album in particular, like people who were struggling with some of those same themes of loss that I was processing um, definitely were inspirations for me. Whenever you, you know, this happens to every musician, I've I've yet to meet someone who never, well, maybe Mark Mothersbaugh would be someone who never encounters this because he dude writes like 500 songs a year. (laughs) But, you know, writer's block kind of hits us all or like you just hit a, a spell of like, I just can't pull the chords together and do you have any like disciplines or things you do when it's like oh, I just need to get out of this funk well I think part of how to avoid that is just really being disciplined and giving yourself a time and space to be creative every day 
Um, but it's going to happen no matter what. So um, I don't know. Something for me that's really important is just not being too attached to like the structure of the song or lyrics is a big thing for me. I rewrite lyrics all the time. And so I think like for me, I just need to be able to not be attached to lyrics and let them go and like sing a bunch of gibberish until something mm-hmm. new comes out, you know? Um, but I think it's hard to like not be attached yeah. to something you've spent a lot of time on. I found that difficult sometimes. Like if I record a demo, there's a tendency like that recorded demo is like canonical now. Yeah. It's like hard to let go of like, well, I captured this, so that's what the song is, right? No, definitely. And, uh, but then the danger is if I don't record it, I'm going to forget what I did. Yeah. And, like, trying to strike that balance of like, this thing can evolve, but don't lose it (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah I've been tempted sometimes to like have multiple versions of songs or something because yeah like what you're saying yeah would you offer any tips or tricks to to other aspiring songwriters or or things you you're like yeah this is this is a good thing to do I guess I would just say like not to be afraid to let the song have a life of its own like not to like constrict it with any barriers like if it if one verse needs to be longer than another or you need to say something in a sort of unique way then let it be that that's awesome yeah figure out what the song needs and so kind of the whole other angle of trying to to pull an album together is not just writing the songs or or figuring out the lyrics but it's producing a record and uh tell us a little bit about so you went to a, a local recording studio here in denver mighty fine productions um what drew you to them how did this all kind of come about uh well we heard really great things about Mighty Fine Productions from a lot of other local artists and they were amazing. They exceeded even the great things we heard about them. So really glad that we went with them. And uh, they've got a really great space. There's a, you know, like the like you picture a professional studio, just the wood floors and the nice like separated control room, mm-hmm. and um, you know all the mics that have ever been made are you know I strewn know. about. <laughs> and uh, you're always tempted, like, oh, what if we tried all these other ones? Um, and uh, so, you know, what, what's it like being in the studio? Have you have you recorded in a studio before? Have you? Um, actually, this was pretty much my my first real experience. When I was a kid, I actually recorded a song for a friend who was doing like a spirituals project or like my family friend. Um, but that was like in his living room or something. So this was definitely my first time in a studio and, and you're right. Mighty fine is like everything you could want in a studio. It's such a warm space. Like you can feel all the good vibes of Mm -hmm. all the musicians who've been there before and the people who, um, engineer and work there are all amazing. So yeah, uh, it was a great experience. And uh, kind of one of the other things that can happen with modern recording, it's it's very easy to do things one-off, one-by-one, but uh, you recorded this album pretty much live. There, there was very little overdubbing, at least in, in the first step. And do uh, you have any comments or thoughts on like that versus the sort of piecemeal approach to recording? I, I really wanted to record it live. I just I think that live recording captures kind of like the warmth and the energy that we have together as musicians and kind of like it feels like to practice with you guys or to perform with you guys. And I wanted that to come out in, in the album for other people to experience. Um, at the same time, we did go back and do a lot of tweaking because, um, 
turns out it's actually really hard to record (laughs) without a click track and then do all this editing and use multiple takes when you weren't necessarily playing the same tempo each time. So, um, thankfully I like, I feel like I'm kind of a more interested in the big picture of the album and the energy and what it's trying to say rather than like it needing to be perfect in every little detail. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely possible to, to engineer like a perfect beats per minute, like structured exact thing that has no life. And it's, it's like technically perfect. And I mean, I realize there's a long way in between that and like a jam band kind of just going at it for half an hour and saying, there's our album. We just cut an album. Um, but no, I appreciate that. Like that, that idea of like, make sure you're not losing the, the, the feel and the, the, the heart of it in the, in the, the details of perfect musicianship or something. Right. And I think like, thankfully it, didn't cross either of those sort of extremes because we had just the best musicians playing with us. You're an amazing drummer. I mean, you're amazing at all sorts of instruments. You're genius. But um, Adrian Short on violin and and Charlie Mertens on bass and Andres Diaz on guitar. Um, Everyone was so incredible um, as musicians. I was not afraid of it being like a disjointed project at all. So what are your favorite parts of the recording process and I mean what are the least favorites to you? Um I thought that I was going to not like like mixing or the process of like listening over and over to every line of the bass part and you know but I actually really enjoyed every aspect of recording. I loved recording live. I loved the detail oriented stuff in mixing and really being able to listen back to everything that you created and find the best parts of it and make it really shine. And um, Sandy, our sound engineer, made it a really fun process too. So yeah, there was no part of it that I I disliked at all. Yeah. And uh, that's definitely a skill to have because modern recording technology kind of affords you the chance to go crazy endlessly tweaking. Yes. You know, there's there's not as much. Well, this is what we captured. That's it. That's kind of like, well, what do you want to do? We can do almost anything. We can chop up the drums into individual hits and move them. Right. And um, that is a, another area to find a balance of like, well, let's fix problems, but let's not lose sight of getting this done and uh, achieving something bigger than the individual pieces. Exactly. Yeah. Any funny or interesting stories from the studio? Or just in the whole process of of making the album? I think one thing that's kind of funny is um, Andres is uh, also a songwriter in his own right. He leads Montropo, and you and I are also in that band, so we spend a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. And I think... um, like kind of our song titles and lyrics have become so ingrained in our brains that we've started playing this kind of game where like we'll bring up a song title in conversation like I don't know we'll be like practicing or something and someone will say it's it's too dark in here we need more light and someone will be like more light because that's like this (laughs) one of his song titles and then like my song titles, like something more, all of that stuff comes up really easily. And so yeah. we kind of joke about our cliche song titles. <laughs> Which I, I love more light because he's already changed that song title oh to something God. else. <laughs> like three times. <laughs> yeah. Andres loves changing things just as he got used to them. <laughs> just 
why he's good at what he does. You show but. up at practice, and he's like, I just capoed this at five now. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I'll just learn it in this new key now. Um, so one of the other fun things about you're not just producing and releasing an album, but you're going on a tour and uh, back to home of the Midwest. You're, you're hitting Indiana, Illinois, and and Wisconsin. And uh, how has it been just, just uh, also putting on your, your booking manager hat? And how has that process worked? Are you, are you calling venues, hitting up other bands? Like, what's that like? Uh, yeah, it's actually um, been really exciting um, to learn about that whole process and um, I was actually able a few months ago to sit down with um, Sarah Levine, I think is how she pronounces her name, um, who's the manager for Gregory Allen Isakoff, and she just gave me this whole world of wisdom on like what I need to do to book gigs and like how I can set up a tour and all these things. She was just so kind in sort of mentoring me through that process. Um, and I've taken a lot of her advice and just reached out to bands in Indiana and in other parts of the country. We're actually super excited to be touring with Young Readers, who is a really talented singer-songwriter out of Oklahoma. And it was just kind of making these connections either in person or um, via the internet and um, really nagging people and bugging <laughs> them a lot about playing their venues. Um, but we finally got some dates set, and I'm really excited to be back in some of the places that I grew up and be able to share this music with people who really mean a lot to me. And so on this tour, it's going to be you and Andres going as a duo? Yes, we're going to be playing as a duo um, for most of this time. Actually, um, Jordan Herrera, who is the guitarist in Young Readers, is probably going to be playing some fiddle for us. Oh, nice. And then possibly um, my younger brothers might have some roles <laughs> as well because um, they're very talented musicians as well. So mm-hmm. we'll see what crew we throw together. Mm-hmm. It always seems like this is like a, a good first step for a debuting artist is like that that initial tour to kind of find some people and spaces and then the is the hope to you know try to hammer that every year like oh let's go back and let's add more dates and hopefully some people will remember us from last year and we can kind of build this up a bit. Yeah, I think that's part of the idea. I'd love to return to the Midwest for sentimental reasons, but then also to continue to build community with the music community out there. And I'd love to travel to other parts of the country, um, West Coast, East Coast, South. Um, I have family and friends in all those places and um, would love to continue to build up music and connections everywhere. So, mm-hmm. And... Uh- so are you guys ready for this? Or? <laughs> oh, God, that's a good, I don't know, good question. Um, I think we are in a lot of ways. I mean, just like the album, it may not be perfect, but it's going to have great energy, and we're going to be doing it because we love it, and we want to we wanna share what we've got with people and, mm-hmm. and have them feel something. So um, I think we're almost there. We're frantically going to be screen printing t-shirts and hoping the albums arrive on time and like figuring out where we're staying or if we're sleeping in the car or you know the whole deal yeah it seems like that's simultaneously like the worst but also the most romanticized and sometimes the fondest remembered like parts of doing this kind of this kind of tour yeah definitely i'm i'm expecting some funny stories and adventures Perhaps for the next podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. 
Um, and I guess just more broadly, so we've, we've been kind of diving into the songwriting, the recording, and kind of putting the, together a tour. And just music in general, is this something you, you kind of hope to do? Like, would you do music full time? Um, is that kind of the aim to see where this goes? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the plan right now is that I really want to continue performing and writing music. Um, it's my plan for now. Um I could also see myself maybe adding some other creative projects. Um, I also used to be a teacher and um, a community organizer for a really long time. And youth voice and social justice is something that's really important to me and dear to my heart and something I want to continue to be involved in. So, I don't know, I want to somehow be able to do all the things I love and integrate (laughs) everything into my life. So figure it out. Yeah, I guess uh, so you mentioned teaching communities or anything else that's like I we, we all have limited time, we all have to make choices, but like um other things you would do, alternate careers, secret degrees you've been working <laughs> on or um, uh I don't know. I've secretly always wanted to be like a backup dancer for a funk band. I don't know. Right. I would love to have like back in the day been standing behind Chaka Khan just like breaking it down I don't know <laughs> I don't know like who knows what the future is I think there's a Netflix documentary all about like the, the supporting backup band type roles I forget I think it's called 20 Feet from Stardom oh yeah I know but it keeps popping up on my feed so yeah well apparently it's an incredible documentary that I haven't watched either so I'm just vouching for other people's opinions but <laughs> um, supposedly it's really fascinating cool um, Cool. Um, Check it out. Anything else on the horizon? What's next? Just sort of see what happens with tour and. Yeah, right now we're just like um, completely focused on the album release at Syntax on the fourth, and then leaving. I leave the next day to go back to Indiana. My younger brother's graduating, and then focused on the tour. And then when we come home, probably more writing and performing, and who knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast and uh, talking to us about your album. Um, wish you all the best on the tour. And uh, selfishly also, I, I want to play the CD release show. I, I hope it goes really well. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to The Pseudo Show, episode 24. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to Smoke and Honey Media and also find other episodes. To do that, head to sunriserobot.net slash pseudoshow slash 24. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. iPhones come with a built-in podcast app and Pocket Cast is a great option for Android. If you'd like to support the Pseudo Show and all Sunrise Robot shows, head to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sunriserobot. Depending on your level of support, you can get your name mentioned on every episode. Special thanks to our top Patreon supporters, Bruce Edwards and Andreas Langa. See you next time on The Pseudo Show.